Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. I recall as parents how we waited for Elizabeth, our oldest, to combine sounds into her first word. But I can't tell you what that first word was. That was 30-some years ago. But according to the baby book that I received from my parents when they downsized their home, my first words were Dada and Mama at 11 months. I cannot confirm or define, but mom said so, and so I take that as gospel. So those are first words, but when I think of last words, I recall the story of the pastor who was called to the hospital to visit a congregant. The man had a breathing tube, so he wasn't able to speak, and he was quite ill, but not really expected to pass so soon. The pastor was somewhat surprised to see the man take his last breath while the preacher was at his bedside. But just before the man breathed his last, he quickly scribbled a note and passed it to the preacher. Noticing the man's distress, he quickly folded the paper and put it in his pocket as he continued to pray fervently for this man. A few days later, the preacher was speaking at the man's funeral when he recalled that note that was in his coat pocket. And as an inspiration to all those who had gathered, the pastor artfully set up the moment, talking about a dying man's last words written on that note that he had not read since the man had passed it to him. As he slowly took out the note and unfolded the paper, he read aloud to the mourners what the note said. You're standing on my oxygen hose, preacher. Today's story from the Bible is not about an oxygen hose and it's not about first words of an infant. But it does involve the first words of a man who has been silent for about a year, only communicating through gestures and scratches on a tablet. 
before iPad, they had tablets in the first century. The Bible says so. You know, there are some things that we can only learn through circumstances. And last week, we saw that Mary went through circumstances that taught her to humbly participate in the will of God. And just as some things can only be learned through circumstances, other things can only be learned through silence. And that's what we find of Zechariah. What he learned through a year of not being able to communicate with words. Some things learned through circumstances, some things learned through silence, and some things can only be learned as we painfully move through a situation. I've been struck this week with multiple settings about the growth that only happens through pain. Monday morning, I received a text message that Mitchell B. was involved in an accident, but no details about what type of accident. And I can only imagine the emotional pain associated with the changes that are occurring in this young man's planned future. And then a couple hours after I heard about Mitchell's accident, I saw a post on my Facebook wall from a a dear friend from about 10 years ago. And this friend was owning up to the pain of burying his wife while they were in the very process of adopting two foster children. And it has amazed me to see a man who was practically agnostic when I met him. Through this painful process, he now speaks openly of a faith in God who's carrying through difficulties. And as I was preparing for this message, um, I realized the things that can only be learned through silence, that there are pains that are connected with our experiences. And I thought about the awkward silence between Zechariah and his wife over this year, during her pregnancy. And one of the resources that I read as I thought about this silence connected it with the human history, and it took me to the painful experiences of Joseph in the last chapters of the book of Genesis. Before Israel took his place in Egypt, and before they saw the provisional and the providential hand of God for the Jewish people, first, Joseph had to go through quite a bit of pain. And after months of anticipating his son, the first words out of Zechariah's mouth are not even about the son whom he had waited all of his life. The first words out of Zechariah's mouth when his speech returned to him are about his God and what his God is doing in the world. Luke's history begins with Zechariah 
unable to speak a blessing on the people. The normal practice was for the priests to go in to make sure that there was enough oil in the candle to make sure there was fresh incense in the censer and then to offer a prayer to God and to come out to the people and say, God has heard our prayers. But as Zechariah comes out of the temple, he is unable to speak the blessing that the people were waiting for. And that is the very first verses of Luke chapter 1. Then we read about the birth narrative of John, the birth narrative of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus. And we get to the very end of Luke's gospel in chapter 24, verse 50. And Jesus pronounces a blessing upon the disciples before he goes into heaven. So the whole story of Luke is wrapped up in a blessing of God. A blessing from God and blessing toward this triune God. The blessing from God is put in the context of a childless older couple being given a promise by an angel. Paul Gordon Chandler writes, Luke lets us know the implied promise of something that is coming. And it creates an atmosphere of great expectation. And for those of us who have lived 20, 30 or more years, Christmas may not have the same expectation as those who are still in their teens and their younger years. There's an anticipation, there's a promise that Christmas is coming and Christmas is going to mean something good. And as our children anticipate that coming promise, it's that same anticipation that drips off of this story as Zechariah speaks for the first time after his silence. He had been silenced and many people at the time saw childlessness as a curse. And they believed someone in the family must have sinned in order for childlessness and then silence. Since the return from from Babylonian servitude, the temple had been rebuilt, sacrifices had resumed, prayers went up, But the prophets had been silent, and God seemed distant from the people. And in this reality of silence and distance, the people longed for the fulfillment of the promised Messiah. The one who would come near to them, be among them, and deliver them from the hands of their enemies. See, today, churches can be found in most towns with at least a couple hundred people. And in churches all across our land, offerings are given, prayers are said, but many feel like God is a thousand miles away from our cities. Many feel like God is a thousand miles away from our children. And many feel like God is silent and distant from the conscience of our countrymen. My friend, we don't need more religious rites. 
We don't need inspirational words. We don't need more traditions. What we need is the Lord, the God of Israel, to come near his people. And that's what Zechariah had been waiting for. It went back 400 years before he was even born. And just as last week, Mary spoke in the past tense of things that were yet to happen because they were just as sure as if they had already come to pass. This week, Zechariah is holding his newborn son. And because his son was born, because Mary was pregnant with the promised Messiah, Zechariah is just as sure as if it had already happened when he begins to express a coming Messiah who would dispel the doubt of people. This coming Messiah was a Davidic Messiah, according to verse 69. What difference does that make? Well, David was an earthly king that interacted with other governments and other peoples. And so the fact that Messiah is coming as a Davidic king, I think tells us that God works through government, God works through authority, God works through relationships and through people. And this Messiah who was going to come in the name of David was going to come near to his people. David represented Israel's greatest king, and to this day, David is considered by the Jewish people to be their greatest king. And sometimes God works directly and supernaturally, as he did with Mary last week. And sometimes God works supernaturally through the normal actions of men. And the fact that John was conceived by elderly parents. And sometimes God works sovereignly through the actions and the choices of humanity, as he did through David's line. He chose to work through human kings to accomplish his purpose. He was a Davidic Messiah, But he was also a prophesied Messiah. For not only does God work through the natural events of humankind, while God was working in through the different Davidic events, God was always working towards a bigger plan. God was working through a plan that started in the garden. And it ends with face-to-face fellowship with our God. The promised Messiah who would come at just the right time would do no less than three things in verses 68 and 71. The Messiah would come near to his people or visit them. The Messiah would deliver or redeem those who were oppressed. And he would save the people from their enemies. And just as the Messiah did that in the first Advent, we celebrate Advent because we are looking for the second coming of Jesus, where he will come near, he will redeem the oppressed, and he will save from our enemies. 
Before the tribe of Judah was ever taken away into exile in Babylon, God promised through Jeremiah that his mercy had not gone away. And finally, after 400 years of hopeful anticipation, Zechariah states here in verse 68 that God's mercy is once again on display for all to see. And as God's mercy is on display, what I see in Zechariah's words is not a judgmental political deliverer. I see a comforting Messiah who displays mercy to his people. It's very common today for us to hear the chant, What do we want? Justice. When do we want it? Now. What do we want? When do we want it? See, deliverance from oppressors is more not about justice against the oppressors, but it is about God's goodness towards the oppressed. It's not about wrath and justice now. It's about God's mercy now to those who are oppressed. See, those things will happen. There will be wrath. There will be judgment, as we saw in our study through Revelation earlier this year. But justice is not yet poured out due to the fact that God is patient and God is merciful. Over the last week, I've seen uh, several times the sentiment, if the Apostle Paul saw the church in America, we'd be getting a letter. And actually, there is a new artificial intelligence website that is called ChatGPT, which stands for Generative Pre-Trained Transformer. And what this website will do is you can put in a question and this artificial intelligence will use computers to create an answer to your question without human intervention. The logarithms have already been written, so you just ask the question and it puts out an output. Now, I'm told by college and university professors that this is not the best way to get a passing grade on a paper because it's about sophomore level. So if you go looking for GPT, it's not going to help you with your term paper, friends. But people have said that if Paul saw America, he'd be sending a letter. And you know what? Someone actually put into this website, Paul... Letter to America, and it put out this input. Someone on the back row, can you read that for us? <laughs> Probably not. So let me read the first paragraph so you can get the idea. I, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, am writing to you with heavy heart and with a stern rebuke. I am grieved to hear reports of the state of the church in your country, and I fear that many of you have strayed far from the path that Christ has set for us. That whole thing was written by computers without human intervention. And it goes on to talk about, in in the style of the Apostle Paul, what a letter to America may look like. 
See, some of us think if God were to write a letter to us, it would involve a heavy heart and a stern rebuke. But when God came to Zechariah as prophesied through Zechariah's son John the Baptist, he did not come with justice. He came with mercy. We want justice and we want it now. Some of you may have seen the billboards. Supposedly God says, don't make me come down there. And sometimes we get really sad when we consider the state of our children, the conscience of our nation, the condition of our cities. And we think, why doesn't God just come down here and start busting heads? Because God is patient and God is merciful. And God's justice is more about setting things right for the oppressed because he's going to deal with the oppressor at a later time. What do we want? Justice. What do we need? Mercy. And when do we need it? We need it right now. See, we are tempted to think that God's first concern would be to punish all those wrongdoers. But that was not Jesus' primary task in his first coming. Now make no mistake, he never tolerated falsehood. But he wasn't driven by wrath either. His wrath will be displayed at his second coming that we wait for. Before they ever went away into slavery, God spoke through his prophet Jeremiah. And Jeremiah says, For I know the plans I have for you, declared the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. And a lot of us hold on to these words from Jeremiah 29, 11, not realizing that they were given to the people just before they went into 70 years of servitude. But God is saying, even though things are about to get rough, don't give up. Because I've got plans for you, for your welfare, for your future, and for your hope. And to us today, God may be telling us, things are about to get rough. But don't forget, I am a merciful God. And His mercy is what our hearts long for. For centuries, many in the Christian tradition have prayed Kyrie eleison, Latin for Lord, have mercy. And when he gives mercy, it prompts a response for us. Our response to a merciful God is found in the second part of verse 74 and on into verse 75. That we might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness. When a merciful God comes to us, our response is not, you go get him, God. When a merciful God comes to us, our response is, we will serve you in holiness and righteousness. We serve God, not ourselves. 
And we serve God rather than ourselves by separating ourselves to God. That's what the word holiness means. It's not anything about short hair or long skirts. or It's about setting ourselves apart towards God and His purpose. And we serve Him for His purpose. That's holiness. But we also do that with righteousness. Righteousness is simply acting rightly towards others. When we receive God's mercy, we serve Him by putting His interests above our own and treating other people in the right way, according to God's purpose. Because Jesus was a merciful God, He was able to say to the very woman caught in an act of adultery, she knew she was guilty, everyone around knew that she was guilty, Jesus knew she was guilty, yet He says, I do not condemn you. Go! And from now on, sin no more. That's the response of a merciful God who is patient, no matter how you or I have messed up. Well, Zechariah kind of moves from the big story of God sending the Messiah to humanity, and he kind of comes in the next few verses down to the the present situation. The God who is merciful has given me a son. Now, God, what is your plan for this boy? Because just like Mary, God was mindful of Zechariah. And God was mindful of Zechariah's heart's desire to become a father. And so just as God was mindful of Mary and intervened in her situation, now God is mindful of Zechariah. God intervenes in his situation and gives him a son. And Zechariah states clearly... That service to God is the proper response to the mercy that had rained down from God. Verses 76 through 79 tells me that a commissioned messenger, the son was given a commission, distributes truth. Zacharias says, God has been so merciful and so good to me, and he gave me you, the son, and now you, son, are commissioned to distribute the truth. You're distributed, and this distribution of truth comes after the year of painful silence. See, Zechariah was on public display as he came out from the temple, unable to speak. And so the rumors had been going around. And all of the townspeople were wondering, what is the child's name going to be? Is it going to be Zech Jr.? What's his name going to be? And the mother says, his name is John. Well, 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 yeah. How about you, Zechariah? What do you want his name to be? And Zechariah says, his name is John. See, through this painful silence, people are now acutely aware of something significant that is going on. And because something significant is going on, John the Baptist is given more power and more influence with his very words. 
since they had waited, ever since Nehemiah rebuilt the walls, ever since Ezra began to rebuild the temple, John's message is now coming to receptive ears who anticipate God's mercy is about to come to us in a very unique way. And God's mercy is coming to us, and the message of John is salvation. See, I've come to find out that some people know a little about a lot of things. Some people know a lot about nothing. And some people know everything about everything. And so regardless of how you identify yourself as a know-it-all or a know-nothing, John comes to increase knowledge of salvation. Because God is merciful, God saves his people. That's what salvation is all about. God saving his people from their oppressors. And to these who think they know it all, God sends messengers like John the baptizer to increase the knowledge of the tender mercy of our God. And the mercy of our God through salvation brings, what do we see there in verse 79? It gives light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. And this mercy guides our feet into the way of peace. This season has reminded me and all of us to extend a little mercy. On Wednesday of this week, I had a 45-minute phone call with my bank. Now, it's not one of our local great banks. It's one that I've banked with for over 30 years. And I was trying to reverse the charges on an online order that I I still think I've been scammed. And after 45 minutes of talking with my bank, just reverse these charges. It's right there on the electronic statement on this date for this amount to this person. After 45 minutes of back and forth with customer service, she finally says, "Uh, I've not been able to fix this. Can you call back on Friday? And after 45 minutes of frustration, I was ready to name that institution that had wasted nearly an hour of my time. And in the end, told me, call back in two days. And I opened up Facebook and I was about ready to give both barrels to that bank. And as I opened Facebook, I was reminded of the logo that I had posted the day before. The crush with Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus. And the silent reminder of that tender moment reminded me that the message of Christmas is a message of mercy. You would not be any more blessed. I would not feel any better if I blasted my bank and their name. See, the mercy of a manger in Bethlehem extinguished the fire 
of my righteous anger. And today, some of us need a taste of that mercy. For some of us, our righteous fire needs to be extinguished. As we are reminded that God is patient and merciful. And his desire is that people would have the knowledge of salvation. See, Zechariah's song speaks of the truth that God has visited and God will visit those he created. Secondly, his song speaks of the honor to serve him by speaking of mercy, salvation, and forgiveness. Our message of the light is the means by which others will be guided into the way of peace. The people of our community will not be blessed into salvation when they see our anger. But when we tell of Jesus who comes to set us free, to forgive us of our sins, and to provide for us a future... See, this this song here starts with blessing God for two things. And those two things that bless God remain very true to this very moment. Regardless of politics, regardless of society's sexual ethic, regardless of inflation, regardless of Ukraine, regardless of China, regardless of COVID, of RNA, regardless of influenza, God has visited and redeems His people through the person of Jesus Christ. In the past, God's people were redeemed from slavery to Egypt, And today, God is redeeming us from slavery to the evil one. The evil one may harass or intimidate us, but he has no authority over us. In Zechariah's day, they thought their redemption needed to displace the Romans. But God was at work in subjugating a greater enemy, the enemy of our souls. Last week we looked at Mary and we saw a young lady who humbly surrendered to her part in God's salvation. Today we meet a young boy who would do his part in God's plan by preparing for Jesus' appearance. And I wonder if we are willing to do our part in God's plan. Are we willing to increase the knowledge of our neighbors about the mercy of our God? In the story in front of us, the prophecy at the beginning of the song gave way to proclamation at the end of the song. Your parents may or may not have been past childbearing rears when you were born. You may or may not like to eat locusts or wear wear camel's hair. But we have the privilege of giving proclamation to the prophecy of Jesus. To this day, we have the privilege of proclaiming, Get ready! The Lord is about to have 
his way. And to remove all confusion, I'm going to make this as clear as crystal. I'm asking each one who is in shot of my voice, live or via recording, that this week, before the 18th of December, through a card, an email, a text, or a personal visit. Ask the Lord to give you the name of one person that you are thankful to God. One person that you will tell you are thankful to God that Jesus came to show us God's mercy. Can you do that? Pick one person, card, email, text, personal visit. Tell that person that you are thankful that God shows mercy through the coming of a little baby born in Bethlehem.